Welcome to the No More Late Fees podcast. I'm Jackie. And I'm Danielle. And we're just two best friends and ex-Blockbuster employees re-watching some of the best and worst movies from the late 90s and early 2000s. This week, we're talking about the 1995 psychological crime thriller, Seven, with our guests Simone and Bria of the Roll Call Pad. Pad. Because I'm from Boston. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies. Hello. Thank you for Oh, hello us. there. I weirdly enough like the past couple of days I too have been slipping into some weird midwestern accent that I have no (laughs) idea where it came where it's coming from but it's here it's your past lives coming out perhaps I'm here for the cheese curds 100% (laughs) but before we dive in let's get into some housekeeping If you love the podcast and you want to support us, here's a few ways you can. Did you know writing a review and or rating us helps us get more listeners? If you want to be featured and help us grow, head to Apple, Spotify, Podchasers, Good Pods, or your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. And make sure when you are on those wonderful platforms that you hit the subscribe button so you get alerts when a new episode is live. And if you want access to exclusive content, stickers, lives, and our Burned Ots Spotify playlists, head on over to patreon.com slash no more late fees and become a bestie. Well, let me give you a little bit of a synopsis of Tell us. the movie seven. Detective William Somerset is one week away from retirement and David Mills has just transferred to the precinct. They are assigned a case which quickly unravels into a serial killer's interpretation of the seven deadly sins they have to navigate a complex game of cat and mouse all while butting heads as they attempt to work together and find john doe in this 1995 thriller starring brad pitt morgan freeman gwyneth paltrow and john c mcginley and that nasty man Mm -hmm. i don't need to say Mm -hmm. no Mm -hmm. Mm. <laughs> the movie is directed by David Fincher. Jackie, this is our second David Fincher movie now. It is. And it was written by Andrew Kevin Walker, and you can find it on Netflix currently. But before we start, let's get into our ratings rewind. So you know the drill. Before we get into the movie, we'll reveal the rating our Y2K versions of ourselves we give. Then at the end, we'll see if our current selves agree with our initial rating. Our scale consists of would buy it, would buy it again. The best would play on repeat. Five-day rental. Would watch again. Two-day rental. Eh, okay, but nothing to write home about. And same-day rental. What's in the motherfucking box? (laughs) (laughs) It's trash. That's what's in the box. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Bria, we'll start with you. Would buy it again. Oh, okay. Would buy Got it. I am the same. This is strangely for me and my Y2K self. I first saw this in middle school at a sleepover at one of. (laughs) Buckle up. I'm about to tell a 15 minute story of my background context of how much I love this movie. JK, I'll try and do the abbreviated Cliff Notes version. And that the first time I saw this movie was at a sleepover at my best friend Heather Romer's house. And she loved. Brad Pitt and she really kind of got me into this like subgenre of like thriller horror and then this strangely became a like comfort movie for us to <laughs> fall asleep <laughs> <into>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
basically the routine would go one of us would spend the night at each other's houses over the weekend we would like stay up late we'd be like oh I'll just like put it on seven and then we'll we'd crash watching it and then one of us would wake up in the middle of the night to the dvd like loop of the background music <laughs> and then turn the tv on which inspired me to buy it so i am a buy it buy it love it have it it's on the shelf it's a would buy i have I think I have it upstairs. If I don't have it now, I know I did buy it originally. My Y2K self, at least. Same would buy it. This was one of the movies kind of spurned for me a love of music. Like this really got me into, like you said, Simone, like Bone Collector, totally my jam. Like anything that was like detective, forensics, totally got into Patricia Cornwell her books about like the body farm and like finding out there's a place where like people put dead bodies and see how they decompose in like various elements and stuff like that. Totally into all of that. And if I wasn't terrible in math and therefore like, <laughs> like forensics for a hot minute was like at the top of my list for, for a career. Yes. I'll give you CSI at most. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like I can go down that train too of just like being really into movies like like this, but I made a fatal mistake. So I read the book Kiss the Girls. Never again. Um, That movie. I should Yeah. The book is a ten times better than the ten times better than the movie. I had to sleep on the floor in my parents' room. For like almost a week because (laughs) it was a mindfuck. The guy was in the air conditioning vents stalking this woman pretty much and wearing garbage bags. It was mm, never again. And then the funny thing is Morgan Freeman ended up playing a guy in that book, in that movie. So I was just like, yeah. Yeah, I feel like, like, unbeknownst to me, like this is like kind of his wheelhouse, I feel Yeah. Yeah. Bread and butter. So, yeah, Danielle, tell us about the box office. Okie dokie. So this movie's budget was $33 million. Damn. And it made $327.3 million worldwide. That is a lot of chuddle. It is. It made $13 million opening weekend, and it spent four consecutive weeks at the top of the U.S. box office charts. It was also the seventh highest grossing film of 1995, and it was included on your boy, Lil Raj's great movies list. <laughs> he gave it four stars, baby, because I checked. I was like, I want to know what Lil Raj thinks about this movie. I wore my Lil Raj shirt with pride at the airport, and I was very oh. excited about it. <laughs> I love to see people's faces when they're trying to like walk by and be like, what? Who is who that? Who that white man on that girl's chest? <laughs> this little rogue. Oh yeah, as my dad would say, I have the sticker on the back of my car, which is, has always been like a forbidden no-no. We were never allowed to put like stickers or magnets, but I was like, you know what? This is my car. I'm going to put it there. This is my <laughs> podcast. So when I have like a roll call on one side and the Lil Raj on the other side, my dad's like, who's Lil Rogue? <laughs> That's his rapper name. <laughs> My money don't jiggle jiggle. It falls. I like to see you wiggle. wiggle. <laughs> Did you draw that? What is that? 
Oh, this was our, this was our design, but the sticker was so big that it couldn't fit on my water bottle. And so it's on my next, my like little note taking. That's so cute. Notebook. I love that. I could say that the big difference of watching this movie now in comparison to how I felt back then, I think when I was younger, I was very much a brat of a very much uh, a date. His name's David in the movie. Now a bitch old and I'm very much a William. <laughs> okay. Like. I, I remember just thinking like, yeah, Brad, yeah, yeah, when I was watching it originally. And now yeah. I was like, sit your ass down and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to your elders now. <laughs> just be flapping them lips the whole goddamn movie. He came in with some real like bro-y frat pit bull energy in this movie. Yeah. Yes. Also, one of my initial thoughts as I started watching, because like when you watch a David Fincher movie, it's very much a David Fincher movie mm, in, yeah. in the visuals. No doubt about it. And I never thought about it before I saw the Batman movie that came out. But now that I've seen it, I was like, oh my God, they should have totally had David Fincher make a Batman movie. Because I think like the tone, he very much yes. gets Gotham, that's for sure, Fair. you know? <laughs> He, I think that this was set in Gotham because it was no city rainy. named. Well, when they said upstate, I like I know it could be a lot of other states, but that felt very New York to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's how we talk about everybody else who lives in New York. <laughs> you don't yeah. live in the city. You live either you live on the <laughs> islands or you live upstate. Like that's yeah. it. You know. And a lot of this was actually filmed in Los Angeles, but David Fincher was really specific on where he wanted to film. So like places like Koreatown, maybe a little bit more like run down. And it did rain, I think, on like the first day of shooting. But then after that, they decided to bring in the... Um, the what rain, like the machines. water machines or something. And they yeah. were working overtime yeah, for sure like... in this movie. But but he he was trying to have it set in some kind of like indistinct East Coast little village. Did that bother anyone else? Like, was anyone else like, when they go name this city? Like, that's all I was doing the whole fucking movie. I was like, okay, no. maybe I missed it. I said, you know what? <laughs> At one point, it's I let... you wanted it to be New York. You're like, I... just tell me, it's... just tell me it's New York. <laughs> Stop playing these games. But I, I said, you know what? Jackie will answer it. Jackie will answer. She always knows. She always I... knows. And and the truth is, like they made it so the 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 police badges didn't have a city name on it. There were no license plate. They made it indescript on purpose. It's highly assumed that it's supposed to be New York, but it's purposely left nameless also <laughs> like the end scene to me is very california yeah yes yeah. i could yeah. go on a walk and it looks like that like yeah. in my neighborhood so that, that did not look like new york no yeah that but... looked like the plains of kansas like it, totally. they were in a completely different location that yeah. end scene. and i know like new york can be really dirty but not that grimy like there's a mixture you know like it was grimy everywhere I think yeah. that was just the 90s of it all yeah because i thought about that i was like like even like the offices and stuff and like his apartment and you know they had moved so they weren't unpacked but i was just like it just looks like really lived in you know like mm -hmm. everywhere yeah. 
and very tactile and now everything's so like minimal or clean like with stuff that like I'm like you can really make this now unless your intention was to make it look like this like, yeah mm-hmm. it did feel very 90s and that scene where they go they find John Doe's apartment that apartment was not New York we yeah. the like the, the it's long it's very long but it what the hallways weren't narrow enough like all of those buildings like we don't have space like that yeah it was Our a hallways, big apartment yeah the the hallways outside of the apartment were really big mm-hmm. like wide and our buildings are not would are not like that so I was just like yeah that that's LA <laughs> but uh, you trying wonder, to be New York I wonder if that was a budget thing like why not just shoot it on the east coast in the city or in a city I don't it's just I we got to get David Fincher on and ask him yeah. some questions. Well, this was a, actually a huge jump for Fincher's career because the movie he did prior was Aliens 3, which was kind of a flop. And Is he, that the one with Winona Ryder? I don't know off the top of my head. I don't know either. But all I know is that it didn't get great reviews. Mm-hmm. And being a younger director at the time and he felt like there was a lot to prove and no one in this cast including David Fincher's director was originally slotted like this got passed Mm -hmm. around to many different people and he had this vision including the ending which upset a lot of crowds but when they started to get more like testing audience appraisal they started giving him more money for funding so they were able to get in like different shots and more like expensive things added but i liked that i feel like in this movie it shows that less is more that they yeah. didn't have to have these yeah there were some great chase scenes and amazing practical effects with bodies and imagery and the notebooks and the attention to detail but they're all subtle in a way Mm -hmm. so yeah the there is no on-screen killings except for the murder at the very end Mm -hmm. yeah and like you know even though john doe is a serial killer you never see him kill Mm -hmm. anyone on screen Mm -hmm. brian did you say were you saying something oh i was just gonna say aliens 3 is still with sigourney weaver and Mm -hmm. then looking at his imdb he turned down an offer to direct batman begins so a bitch is on point i tell you that but yeah, it's funny that you were saying there were so many like changes because we did Panic Room and there was a lot of changes there too. Oh, yeah. So that's interesting. I wonder if and we did but when we did Blade, he was also considered to direct that movie, but mm-hmm. I, I think he was what doing Fight Club or something at the same mm-hmm. he was doing another movie at the same time that it didn't work out, but he did come onto set and help with, you know, a few things, but interesting very interesting yeah Denzel Washington was originally supposed to play Mills Mm -hmm. and Stallone was supposed to play Somerset and then Val Kilmer was supposed to be John Doe that movie I think would be completely different a hundred percent 
I, I was, when you said Denzel Washington, I was like, oh, him and Morgan Freeman again would have been amazing because they mm-hmm. were in glory together, mm-hmm. but that that would have changed. They would have never done it because then it would have been a quote unquote black movie if they had done that. So yeah, yeah. there's a lot of different actors in in line and none of them i was like yes like some who else was who's supposed to do like gwyneth wasn't like nailed oh, down yeah. for this either christina applegate was offered the role of tracy she turned oh. out like christina applegate like some of the movies we've been doing she turned down a lot of movies and i'm like boo boo but what you were doing though yeah like yeah. why were you turning these down but you know everyone does what's right for their career but i'm curious because there was a lot like legally blonde this movie i think even sc- something in scream mm-hmm. i'm just like why what's what was going on yeah yeah the so- actors considered for william somerset Mar- morgan freeman's role were al pacino gene hackman robert duvall and danielle's boo harrison ford <laughs> Oh, I think I said Stallone. I meant to say Al Pacino. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, because I was like Stallone. I could see Gene Hackman and Pacino, probably. I loved Gene Hackman's reasoning for turning it down was there were too many night shoots. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. I want to go to bed. <laughs> I mean, old white men in Hollywood like are so particular. Like... Yeah. <laughs> The funny thing is if Harrison Ford, because this came out in 95, so Harrison Ford and Brad Pitt were in a movie together Mm -hmm. and Brad Pitt hated working with Harrison so much because he has a list of people he will not work with and Harrison is, will not work with again. Harrison is on that list. He tried to even get out of doing the movie, like in the middle of the movie. He's like, I, I got, I got to get the fuck out of here. So it would have been interesting if they had to do a movie before that. So he also has Tom Cruise on that list. He will never work with Tom Cruise again after mm-hmm. interview, interview with the vampire, vampire, which is probably why we didn't get a second movie yeah. from those two. Yeah. Also considered for the role of David Mills, played by Brad Pitt, Denzel, Sylvester Stallone, Kevin Costner, and Nicolas Cage. Can you imagine (laughs) how erratic? Wild (laughs) eyes Nick Cage would be. He'd be, Brad Pitt was already a wild card in this movie. Nick Cage would have turned it up to 11. Yeah, exactly. Oh, the movie is called The Devil's Own, by the way, with Harrison Ford and, and Brad. <laughs> and then the actors considered for the role of John Doe, which we find out is that that guy that we yeah. do not name. It's Michael Stipe, which I'm like, I get it. I would not have I'm been mad. <laughs> now, with all that we know about that despicable human piece of shit that played John Doe, mm-hmm. I kind of just feel like he wasn't playing a role. He was being himself. Oh, it was unsettingly terrifying. Yeah. And, and creepy. And I, but, and marketing for that role was also pretty smart on Fincher's behalf that they left his name out of the opening credits. It was a pretty Mm -hmm. big reveal. About 30 minutes left of the movie is when he, we see his real, his whole face. And then he was also out of like the press and all of that stuff. So it was a big surprise to the audience. Which is really, really smart. I love when they do stuff like that. I love when 
like with Drew Barrymore and Scream, you know, you get mm-hmm. a big actor and you kill them off right away. I love when you don't know what's going to happen. Or one of my other favorites is Donnie Wahlberg in mm-hmm. The Sixth Six. Sense. Yeah. Oh, like, oh, every time I'm like, <laughs> I forget there's a Wahlberg in this movie. <laughs> I'm like, let me get my glasses. <laughs> is that a new kid on the block? <laughs> in his tidy whities like just shivering in the bathroom. I want to get that man some clothes. <laughs> it's the same thing with Luke Perry in Fifth <laughs> Element. Yeah. Every time I'm like, Oh yeah, you're in one scene and then never seen again. <laughs> you do eat Luke Perry. The other actors considered for the role of John Doe, aside from Michael Stipe, were Arlie oh, Ermey. Oh. And like Fink- <laughs> Fincher like said like he had a hard time with Arlie's audition because he was so unsympathetic and he's like this is not a sympathetic character in the least but he was so like militant and drill sergeant about it it was just like you didn't get the range of like the psychosis and like dedication to this John John Doe the like he had charisma about him so you could get how he was able to con and fool and yes play all the people that he hurt and killed but also the way that he could kind of blend in right like mm-hmm. he yes. look he did like if you saw yeah. him you wouldn't remember him you yeah know? he did really well with that and like you said just having that short time on screen he, he still ate it up. Well, yeah. He hate you, but he ate it. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I feel like you have to have nuance, like, as a serial killer person, yeah. character. Like, there has to be, like, some kind of, like, underneath layer of, like, sickness and not so much, like, like yeah. very outward aggression mm-hmm. or anger or anything. Yeah. And that guy just looks mad. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like Anthony Hopkins, obviously. Edward Norton Mm -hmm. could, has and could do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Just people that will surprise you. Yeah. Either way. Mm. Oh, boy. Should we get into this? Yes. Yes. This, This movie. So... Morgan Freeman plays William. Why can't I think of his last name now? I want to say Thatcher, but I Somerset. Somerset, Thank you. Plays William Somerset. He has, he's a hardened detective. He's seen everything, has been in this like city of just crime and murder for way too long. And he is going to retire. So the countdown starts on Monday and it's his last seven days as a detective. (laughs) <laughs> Which is it's pretty cool because they use seven a few times in the movie, mm-hmm. kind of playing interchangeably with each other. Yeah. And that it was the seventh highest grossing movie in 95. I was so... like, what a stat. Like, <laughs> I, I'm holding on to my, my stone because I do believe numerology is like a real thing. And yeah. that is some creepy shit that it's, <laughs> and it's since, yeah, mm <laughs> get the juju right yeah so we also meet uh david mills who is played by 
Brad Pitt, he has requested a transfer into the city. We find out a little later on his wife, Tracy, comes with him. They've been high school. They were high school sweethearts. She was a fifth grade teacher, but quit and is looking into schools. But I think, frankly, <laughs> the schools scare her. <laughs> if I may, if I may. Gwyneth Paltrow is basically admitting that she doesn't care about inner city youth. She goes, exactly. the conditions here are so horrible. Like, I can't be burdened by these Title I schools. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Mind, she is not. Yeah. It's interesting because if you think about, when you look at this movie, I feel like there may be two female speaking roles. Mm. One is just a random cop that finds some evidence and has a conversation with Brad Pitt. And then there's Tracy's character. And Tracy's character is definitely the archetype of when movies use females as a vehicle to add sympathy to lift up, to be kind of like a pillar for the male character and giving no dimension mm -hmm. or attributes whatsoever. They are literally not even a full thought of human mm -hmm. being. And yeah. I would say Tracy 100% falls into that category. Well, Brad, Brad Pitt, in an interview, he said that like her character is important because she's the sunshine of the film. Like they were asking about her casting. Mm -hmm. And so definitely, I feel like they know that, unfortunately. They yeah. knew what they were doing. So we do see during the opening credits, David fin Fincher does a really good job like setting the scene of like the mind of a serial killer. He has all of these composition book manifestos that John Doe is writing in. We see him cutting off his fingerprints. Like, obviously, this dude is committed mm -hmm. and should be committed. With the musical overlay of the Nine Inch Nails song. Yes. I'll bring you closer to God. Oh, <laughs> so creepy. I think, like, even the backstories and, like, his notebooks. I, I, I really remember, I think on the DVD extras, and I could be wrong, there were kind of, like, some breakdowns of, of the sins and stuff. Hmm. It, it, it was giving very much 13 Ghosts the yeah. amount of background that we got. I could be wrong, but that's what I, I feel like I remember that. Well, and Somerset does read an excerpt in the middle of the uh, movie, and it's just, like, how John Doe... It, it was very much Dexter vibes, like... yeah. Like, Unhanged. I can't, yeah, and, like, I can't relate to any other human on Earth, and mm -hmm. so I just laugh in their face type thing. Dexter wishes, dark passenger, smassenger. <laughs> like, <laughs> this dude was way, like, deep. In, yeah. Like... <laughs> so they are attached to this location. They find this morbidly obese gentleman face down in a plate of spaghetti the cop that they meet the amount of times he like reiterates that he's face down in a plate of spaghetti and like dude i i think we get it like i feel like that's what if i had a list of the worst ways for me to personally die in that nasty ass spaghetti i do not like spaghetti so that would be a tragic ending on my part. Jackie, if they said that they found me in a plate of spaghetti, you already know foul play. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
she would never. She would never. The chef does not prepare. (laughs) (laughs) So, and there's like very much concern that he's not actually dead. Like they just are like, did you confirm he's dead? And they're like, he's face down in a plate of spaghetti. He's dead. I'm like, why is this conversation happening right now? Is this, wait, is this where they, this isn't where they meet though, is it? No. Didn't they, didn't they meet his partner somewhere else? I don't remember. This is where my notes take me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I believe there's a scene where the two meet as partners. And because I think this was, I just feel this like they was their did, first like case that they worked yeah. together. And but we did, can see the like old school way of approaching or the methodical way of the approach. Yeah. And but then they met before uh, this though, because yeah. by the time they get yeah. to this scene, there's like a that's where Brad Pitt's character, David, is asking all the, the patrolmen all these questions. Mm-hmm. And Williams is like, shut the fuck up. Like, what? Mm-hmm. You're already ready to be combative with this guy. And mm-hmm. there's no reason for it. Like, where do you think this is going to go? Yeah. Um, he was like, I'm wondering where the second part of that conversation was going to go. I, I only asked because I was like, I remember they already knew each other that they're mm-hmm. having this shorthand and he's already starting to get irritated because David doesn't shut the fuck up. He and doesn't. <laughs> he's touching everything. Like if you see a bucket under the table, why are you putting your whole face in that? <laughs> like, well, and that's what, I think what was so creepy about this scene too is a great opening scene because it's so dark. They had mm-hmm. the apartment that the man was in was already covered with like newspapers or some kind of covering to shove the windows and then including it being a crime scene, but they didn't have like floodlights on the body yet. Mm-hmm. So they just were holding their long stick flashlights and looking through. So there were these like it's a little dizzying the older I get to watch stuff like that, but you know, just these flashes of the light going in different faces and then this suspense of like, you know, looking into this bucket and then it's vomit that's inside there, right? And like they, there's only so much that they can see in that room. There's like, mm-hmm. you know, they have to go back at another point because they realize that there's more clues. Yeah. And they do see that the dead bodies hands and feet are bound Mm -hmm. so obviously there is foul play afoot Mm -hmm. there's a lot of fat phobic rhetoric in this movie Mm -hmm. uh, especially in this scene because naturally david assumes that guy's just fat and he ate himself to death or he just Mm -hmm. keeled over had a heart attack he thinks it's cardiac because he's fat Mm -hmm. Uh, until william of course who's older been around the block is taking his time to really take in the scene and he's that's when they find that he's been bound and like mm-hmm. it clicks but yeah William and guys sorry oh and and William also notices like strange bruising on the back of the the guy's head and so the next scene they're in the coroner's office and viewing what the autopsy found and he's like yeah he like essentially ate till he burst and William kind of puts it together that not only like there was a receipt found like the killer stops or like had to go to the grocery store and buy more food halfway through 
And then at some point he speculated that he actually kicked the guy and that's what caused his stomach to rupture because of the bruising. But he asked the coroner, like, what about these bruises? The coroner's like, oh, I don't know what those bruises are. And then, and William's like, does it look like a gun barrel? And he's like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Like, Mm -hmm. dude, how long have you been in this job? I don't (laughs) think he, I looked at it that like, he hadn't even like, he, if you look at that man, there's so much work to be done from an autopsy Mm -hmm. standpoint. Like, Maybe he was dumb enough, but I felt like he's like, bitch, I even got there. You seen the stomach though? Like, yeah, yeah I yeah, haven't yeah. even gotten to the external, like his, this stomach is crazy. Yeah. Look at how much food is in there that has been put in his system, like within the last 24 hours. Yes. And that wasn't even the big twist that we don't get until a couple of scenes later. Yeah. yeah. What, what else was in the stomach? Yeah. David Finter did say on the DVD commentary that he, f- sorry, Fint- Fincher. <laughs> like Finter. Sounds Finter. like Finter. <laughs> <laughs> the, David Fincher did say on the DVD commentary that he felt bad for the actor who had to wear all of the hot, heavy, gluttony prosthetics. So to compensate, he made him well endowed in (laughs) the the autopsy scene. That was the trade-off there. (laughs) I I don't, like, men are so weird. Why would that, I'm hot. Like, I'm, like, (laughs) profusely sweating in this fucking situation. And so you don't give me more money, but I'm happy because my fake dick in the movie where I'm dead is big? (laughs) Okay. Yep. At least the guy who was bound negotiated (laughs) some money. And then, like, as they're going through the autopsy... William's been around the block on, enough to know, like, this is only the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, sh- like this was very methodical, very planned out. Like, mm-hmm. there will be more. He does try and get David reassigned because he's like, fuck <laughs> this dude. I got, like, six days left. I can't. I can't well, and I won't. <laughs> I think also he, I think he's also, like, kind of pr- protective because uh, as Although David has been a detective for a while, he has not worked in X city um, mm-hmm. and he's not up to par for like, I think William gets a gut feeling that this isn't just like the everyday homicide situation. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't think he can handle it pretty much. I, yeah, I, I mean, of course, of course, Mills is like uptight about like, he's just like, I want the case and yeah. not so much thinking about like why he doesn't want him on it. But like, what are you talking about? Like, I can right. do this. Mm-hmm. It's just like, slow down, frat boy. <laughs> like, but yeah. I liked how Brad was able to play because that could have, you know, I know yeah. when people are watching the movie, they might not see the dynamics, but it could have come off a little racist if he came like came at it in a different way he he was very bro broy about it mm-hmm. and like teenage kid like about it and that was like grandpa dad situation versus yeah you can't tell me what to do because you know i, I don't know yeah. i just felt like the new one the way that he did it was good 
Which makes me think if like Denzel and like Pacino or like it was switched originally, right. mm-hmm. like how if that would have been the same or if it would have mm-hmm. came off like that, like where it's like, okay, why don't you want this black guy on this case? Like, right. Exactly. William never used words like kid or boy or anything like mm-hmm. that, but yeah. I could see like an Al Pacino or someone saying that to a younger guy, regardless of race and it for a black person that would be like a big no no you cannot you cannot call me boy you cannot (laughs) call me kid like it's not coming off right so it would have been really different I'm glad (laughs) this is the way it came out so now we are at Tuesday the high profile defense attorney has been found in his office and again, David's lack of awareness for a crime scene, like he just like marches in and sits in the dude's chair. He walks through like the blood. He, mm. I was like, who let him walk in? Like, who, <laughs> who's letting him do this by himself? Yeah, he got he real. Should have been in Bad Boys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and no, then- no disregard. <laughs> That whole scene, like, there's blood everywhere, but unlike the first scene, we see greed Mm -hmm. laid out on the Mm -hmm. carpet in Mm -hmm. blood, blood. Mm -hmm. and at one point, David sees a picture of the district attorney's wife, but, like, she has like, circles, like, almost like glasses Mm -hmm. around her eyes Mm -hmm. in blood. But he thinks nothing of it. Like, he's like, oh. Yeah, he doesn't interview her till like, way later. Yeah. Yeah. Not till he talks it through with William. Yeah. Yeah. So after that, and the way they show William is old school and ready to retire is that guy is at a typewriter (laughs) type in his notes. There is. (laughs) And I was like, okay, granted, if this movie was like set earlier, which it Mm -hmm. wasn't, it was still set in 95, which not everyone or maybe not all police departments could afford computers. And if this is the way that he's been typing up his reports, (laughs) he's like, well, I'm not going to switch over like at this point in my career. So I love him. And and, and it's with pointer fingers too. Like it's not even, oh man. I was like, is this a joke? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it adds to, like I said, like with the tactile aesthetic of it all, like we don't get a lot of tech in this movie or Mm -hmm. anything like that. So like it adds to that noir like aspect of it where like you're not getting like a screen or any kind of bright colors or anything Mm -hmm. from something possibly even remotely techy. And David Fincher, that's what he was going for. His goal was to make a black and white movie in color. Mm -hmm. So I think, (laughs) right? I think he mission accomplished on that. Great job. So this is when someone comes in and they're like, hey, found these in the dead dude's stomach and hand William a jar. So he takes him out and he's looking at him. And then that the next scene is when they're returning to the crime scene to try and figure out, because he's like, this is deliberate. And so yeah. obviously the killer is leaving us breadcrumbs. We have to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And so he he's looking around the kitchen and notices like the linoleum is scraped up and the, the scrapings match right in front of the refrigerator. So he pulls the refrigerator out and written in grease behind the refrigerator is gluttony. 
And then there's a note also pinned to the wall. So mm -hmm. William knows enough to know like, okay, these are two of and the seven it. deadly sins. Mm -hmm. Like now we have kind of a, a theme. Yes. <laughs> I have um, the breadcrumb too, because like I would not. I was like, I don't know where the fuck these things go. <laughs> yeah. Or I would have been like, oh, I found them. They go in the linoleum floor. Yeah. <laughs> like I wouldn't have thought about moving the fridge over. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's what. So like, when it, serial killers like John Doe, I think they get off in finding their oh, intellectual. Yeah equals mm -hmm. yeah and so i think they purposely do this kind of situation to see who's going to be up there with them right it definitely wasn't fucking david i'll tell you that <laughs> no well i mean he says that he's like you know i'm really impressed by you guys so i'm gonna like kind of do you a favor and yeah it's like so yeah. sick for him yeah. to be like <laughs> <laughs> good job you like kind of figured it out but not really like yeah i still would have gotten away with it it's fine but yes like you were saying when writing the script andrew kevin walker made sure that doe and somerset should be of equal intelligence so that's how he wrote them which was really unique i think because most of the time serial killers are kind of portrayed as just like all passion revenge things like that and this was so methodical, so well thought out, researched, all of those things. So then the the note that was pinned is a quote from Milton. It's from Paradise Lost. Mm -hmm. And so William is like, this is the beginning. He explains about the seven deadly sins. And he's like, I can't get involved. Like, obviously there's going to be more killings. Yeah. I got five days left and right. then I'm out. Like, I don't, I, I don't want to. Um, Danny Glovering it. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> I was waiting for him to say that the yes. whole movie. It was definitely a Murtoch situation. <laughs> and, his, and his boss in, in one scene, like, kind of tries to reverse psychology him and is like, what you gonna do? You gonna be out on a farm? You ain't doing that. Like, you gonna miss this. You gonna miss this. You gonna wanna be back. You'll be back tomorrow. You ain't leaving. <laughs> and he's like, Bitch, I'm, I'm out. out. I'm out. Like, I am out. Do you see out. what this guy is doing? Right. No part of this anymore. I don't know how people who work in, in this kind of industry live. I, I have bad nightmares watching a movie like this. Mm -hmm. I could not imagine smelling the dead bodies seeing mm -hmm. the dead bodies and like just about going about my day going to have lunch there's just no i couldn't yeah. do it yeah. like that the smell of the throw up i know lives in his brain forever mm -hmm. gross so somerset kind of decides because mills is all over it he's like yeah, yeah give me serial killer <laughs> let's do this and somerset is trying to help out the best he can he's like i don't want to work this case but let me give this this guy a leg up and so he goes to the library starts researching taking notes we obviously he is a friend of the library because all of the security guards know him he knows them by name and he writes out a list of books for mills and gives him an envelope 
Cause and, it's, yeah. But I'm like Brad Pitt on this one. I would need the Cliff Notes version mm-hmm. of these. Like, love it. Thank you for scanning me the original <laughs> copies, but it makes no sense in my brain. So yep. yeah, I remember reading Canterbury Tales. And I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? Yes. And I know it's important because it historically tells stories of like every everyday people and how people mm-hmm. lived in that time period mm-hmm. but still I was like I don't care boozing. <laughs> it's the way like that kind of stuff is written like our yeah. alma mater we had to take these classes called seminar and you read books like that we read Dante's yeah. Inferno in that building there's a huge mural of like Dante's Inferno and do I, can I tell you, it, I've been in class <laughs> reading stuff, absolutely no clue. The Aeneid, the Odyssey, like. Yeah. Huh? yeah. Oh, <laughs> God, the Odyssey. Jesus. That's, that was, was my life I, I can't notes, get back. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Hello yet again, and welcome to the Insanely Dangerous Retro Pod Show. Size doesn't matter, it's... it's what you do with it yes well i mean I, i'm off now because i've got to go and scream absolutely garbage poorly sure it's somebody i don't really give a fuck about he did kick me off the arse <laughs> nice nice argument there oh, shut up shut up oh there's a finger i i almost urinated tune in next week because i just can't stop loving you guys it's the batman jeans no more andy hinchcliffe So Mills is like, I hate this shit. And so he does get the Cliff's notes. And now Mills is moving into Somerset's office. So now they're sharing an office and the phone rings. And, and Somerset's like, that bitch is yours now. Like. Yeah. He kind of like reaches for it. And then he's like, it comes with the office. You have to pick it up. Yeah. <laughs> That's all and it's, did but we, doesn't that the phone ring at another desk and the boss is there and he's like I don't even sit here and hangs up I was like why did you answer it you love that little like throwaway (laughs) quit bothering me at this desk that isn't mine I miss that kind of like office like demeanor now it's like so I wish I could answer my desk phone and be like I don't even sit here call somebody else (laughs) not transferring you like <laughs> wrong department <laughs> figure it out on your own yeah so mills does answer the phone and it is his wife tracy he calls her a dingleberry like, <laughs> like you dingleberry why are you calling me at work and i'm like so napoleon dynamite yeah, yeah i'm like that was <gasps> so out of like character for like this whole movie not just like that particular character yeah it just struck me as funny and then like he's kind of hushly talking to her and then he turns to somerset and he's like she wants to talk to you and so if essentially she just invites him over for dinner and they walk in and david goes are the kids he has something about the kids and she's like oh they're in there the kids yeah okay and and so she's like they're in their room and it's like these three giant weimariners and the (laughs) way he like manhandles that one dog and like (laughs) wrestles it to the ground 
Ken's like, he had to have known those dogs previously. I'm like, but you're analyzing the friendship with the dogs for the acting. Like, is this where we're at right now? He's like, they had a chemistry coach. They did. (laughs) Intimacy chemistry coach or whatever. When I watch any, and whenever I watch any scenes of their apartment, Mm -hmm. high anxiety. Hi, anxiety. I kept on thinking if Christine was here, these boxes would have been gone by now. Like, why? There's like newspaper on the floor when he like Mm -hmm. wrestles the dog, and I'm like, is that the like pee paper? (laughs) So, so much. I'm like, why? And the other observation I made, and I'm I may be thinking a little too hard. You know what I? Do you know, Bria? Sorry. God, why am I mixing you guys up today? All I thought was, okay, so they play in a lot of black music when this man comes over and jazz. <laughs> is this, it, it gives, it gives, I want the black man that's coming to my very white household to know that I'm cool too. And I like. <laughs> I'm cultured. I, I, have, like, I have records. I like the jazz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean. That I, I I wasn't thinking that I thought you were gonna be like I wouldn't be eating dinner. Yes, <laughs> that was the other thought because I was like, I don't trust it. Yeah. <laughs> I did have that thought, but no, the the music I was like, it was Marvin Gaye. That's I what think. I thought. Yeah, and then the second was a bunch of jazz music, and I was just like, okay, <laughs> I believe that Tracy and David from california which at first i didn't know they were from california i thought they were like maybe from the midwest or something i believe that they're listening to this just randomly just randomly okay <laughs> now see it would have been a different vibe if she played tupac's california love when you <laughs> i want to know what they had for dinner that was like spaghetti god damn i thought this i saw movie. mashed potatoes mashed was it potatoes? mashed potatoes it was yeah with okay it was like a very like beans? nondescript. I know the glass of red wine. Yeah, and I know he needed that white wine because I'm a guess. Right, I'm wine. a guess there Unseasoned? were no seasoning. I know it. But then she asks this spicy ass question, which is, "Why aren't you married?" Which None is your a business. very big question to ask someone that you're meeting for the first time that you invited over to their house. We're cool now. I've got the jazz on. <laughs> Danielle, we had to oh, and drive for our dinner. We sure did. <laughs> we are familiar with shucking and diving to get our <laughs> red wine so and steak. This, this was Tracy's chance to try to <laughs> dig deep and ask some important questions. Like, I gotta start slowly. Like, why aren't you married? And how how slowly. did you curl pattern that way? <laughs> <laughs> Is it difficult being a black detective? (laughs) Do you think I could pull off box raids? Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Now I think. (laughs) No. No, Gwyneth. Keep box braids far, far away from Duke. Please and thank you. They're called Bo Derek Braids. Hello. I mean, Goop is a great name, though, for edge control. So, yes, 
And she got that name because her publicist was like, all successful businesses have double O's. And she was like, <laughs> so Google and Facebook? Like, the only <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> I'm like trying to think of other successful double O businesses. Double O seven? Volvo has to, oh, well, does it have to be together? Like the O's? Yeah, like that has two O's next to each gotcha, other. Gotcha. So, you know, like Microsoft and uh, <laughs> Yoohoo. And... I mean, Yahoo does, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yahoo yeah. does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ube. Ube. <laughs> Tick tock. That's ice cream. <laughs> Oople. Yeah, Oople. <laughs> that would that actually would have been smarter because her daughter's name is Apple. So yeah. It would have been even more yeah. on brand. Would be. Should have hired us, Gwyneth. Yeah. I don't ever want to know her. <laughs> and no nos. I know, <laughs> that's a, now I have that stuck in my head. Yeah. You do kind of start to see Tracy's like internal struggle with being yeah. in the city. The apartment <laughs> is right over the subway and it, it vibrates a whole hell of a lot. Yeah. I, I feel like she just wants to say there's so many black people around me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so urban. <laughs> those were the vibes she was giving off a hundred percent yeah i don't even know where the gap is (laughs) is there a banana republic close by (laughs) does goop deliver here And is it safe to have something delivered to yes. the house? <laughs> but yes, yeah, so you start to see, you can see something in her eyes that there are things that she wants to say, but doesn't feel comfortable saying. Mills kind of fills in her sentences for her, not necessarily speaking on her behalf, but a little bit like cutting her off here and there. But you can tell there's a genuine adoration for his wife. Like, yes, yes. He loves her and they are high school sweethearts and they're just in this together. But she is only there because he wanted to transfer. Mm -hmm. Like she's trying to be supportive of him, but struggling. So the, oh, later that night they go back to, oh, they're sitting around still drinking wine. Somerset agrees to more wine. And the glass of wine that David pours, it's a pint glass filled almost up to the top of red wine. Yes. And we're just like... It's so funny because he doesn't notice it at first. He could just kind of takes it. But then when he like goes to to take a look, it's so (laughs) subtle, but you'll see his face. He's like... And so they're reviewing the crime scene photos, trying to figure out, because right now they're kind of at a dead end. They, they're they just waiting for the next murder to happen, essentially. And so they're looking at things, and, and Somerset is kind of coaching him through, like, you need to comb through, pick a detail, and analyze it to death, and then move on to the next detail. And so they're kind of going through the crime scene photos, and they find the one of the frame picture of the wife with the blood glasses. And he's like, this is, this is the next clue. And they schedule a meeting with the wife. Cause he's like, it's something 
that the wife has seen or, Mm -hmm. and so then we get a little more like exposition about the actual crime scene. And there is essentially the, the lawyer was forced at gunpoint to give a pound of flesh. And so they're talking through like Mm -hmm. what parts you would cut off first, blah, blah, blah. And so there is interesting exposition here that really didn't have a place, but it's interesting. They put it in where they're talking about like, they teach women in classes about how to like escape dangerous situations and potential rape that you never yell help. You always yell fire. No one's going to come to help you if you yell help. And so, and, and of course my husband's like, what? I was like, yeah, like you always yell fire. Mm-hmm. Duh. And by the way, I bought a personal alarm to go to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> let me play it for you. It scares the shit out of the cats. So they do go and visit the lawyer's wife. This poor woman, they're like, literally like, look at these photos of your dead husband. Tell us what's different. And she's like, I can't like, I'm like emotionally a wreck. And now you're making me relive this trauma. And finally she's looking through the pictures and she's like, that painting is upside down. And so they go back to the crime scene, pull the painting down, like tear it apart. There's nothing. And then Somerset gets up and starts dusting the wall and there's fingerprints on the wall and it spells out me. So they're like, oh shit, here's the next clue. They take Mm -hmm. the fingerprints, run them through the scanner. The guy who plays this, like the fingerprint scanner tech is Morgan Freeman's son. Oh, so that was a little... Little tidbit that they threw in there. Now it is Thursday. They finally got a hit on the fingerprints and they explain that it's a person who has had a a long history of mental illness and he was actually Gould, the lawyer, was represented him and got him off on rape charges. Mm -hmm. And so they go to this guy's apartment. They bust in. The thrill of and buildup of this scene is what makes this one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Because the way that they, Howard Shore, I think is the one that does the music for this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get your kind of like cheesy-ish, like cop overlay music, but then you get scenes like this where it builds because it's not just Somerset and Mills. They have fucking the SWAT team with mm-hmm. them. And SWAT teams are, they're kind of rude because they're like, we're going to go first because they think that these are the fingerprints of the killer. Right. And there's so many amazing red herrings. Like the, this was one of my favorite scene when I was younger because it's this true moment where it makes you just go wait what the fuck what the fuck what the fuck like just so many wtfs building off of each other yeah and they go in and the uh, this whole apartment building is in disarray it's not a well-maintained apartment building and they go in and there's just air fresheners like the little pine air fresheners hung everywhere Mm -hmm. and so you're already like oh what the fuck next? Like mm-hmm. we already got guy in spaghetti and we got guy who had to cut flesh off of his own body. So they go into the very back room and they find a 
corpse in quotes on the bed and they're like okay they're they're trying to process what's happening and then he gasps for air and all of the actors that play the SWAT team they were not informed that that was an actual actor and that was going to happen they thought it was just a dummy in the bed and so all of their reactions are real like what the fuck <laughs> And yes. so as they investigate more, they find a box of Polaroids and it's like a Polaroid, like essentially per day or every other day, they're hand dated for an entire year. So it shows like when the guy was first strapped to the bed and it's like, he's been catheterized. He's been fed just enough to keep like sustain him. It, he has bed sores that he has antibiotics so that they don't get infected. Like this is a very, very methodical, slow process of torture for someone to be able to do. And so obviously we're, we're dealing with sloth and as they're kind of in the hallway, trying to talk through what, what's happening, there's this photographer that shows up and he's like trying to take pictures and Brad Pitt's kind of yelling, like, get the fuck out of here. How do they know to get here so quickly? And Somerset is pretty much like there's moles in the police department. Like mm -hmm. police officers are paid off all the time for a bunch of different shit. And so now we're in the hospital, they've moved sloth to the hospital he's chewed off his own tongue likely he's incapacitated and they're like we're just waiting for him to die like there's mm -hmm. no bringing him back from this trauma and and then tracy calls william and she's like hey i know this is weird but can you meet me tomorrow i just need someone to talk to and so of course he's like a decent guy so he mm -hmm. goes in and i thought those was her <laughs> I thought this was weird. I I could tell he thought it was weird. Yeah. And like, yes, you've moved to a new city. Yes, you don't know anybody, but you ain't got a phone a friend. You don't have a friend at home that you can call. Like it's and like when she talked to him, I thought this bitch had something important to say, but she was just pretty much complaining about like, I don't want to be in working in this inner city kind of situation. Yeah. And oh, I'm pregnant. Like Mm -hmm. no like no family no friends nothing that yeah. you could have had this conversation with except the random man that's going to be partners with your husband for three four more days like I viewed it as because she does ask him like obviously had had he ever been married and then like had, he he kind of goes into the story of his his relationship and how they were pregnant at one time and they chose to have an abortion and I think she was coming at it from a perspective of like, David's all into this job and the horrible things that he has to see on a daily basis. Like, is it even right to bring a child into a situation where like, this is what their father does for a living? Or is that going to affect his mental capacity to be able to be a good father you know like I kind of viewed it from that way like what is your perspective as someone who's getting out of the field and obviously is very jaded by a lifetime of this profession I feel like the scene was to they had to figure out a way to tell us that she was pregnant without mm -hmm. telling David I agree because mm -hmm. it is I know what you're saying but it's yeah. so weird yeah. I 
it's just weird. I, it's just out of the whole movie, it's the one scene that takes me out of the movie every time that I'm like, <sighs> I mean, I you know, a little bathroom pregnancy test. Yeah. For a movie. Right. <laughs> like, it just, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if they were also trying to build that bond with him and mm-hmm. I, I don't know. And this is, this makes me question again. Cause now you, it's because you want us to be empathetic for David when she dies, mm-hmm. but you don't really want to build this character up in a way that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And an easy way to have fixed all of this is to have, would have to give William a wife mm-hmm. and then for them to have the, but God forbid they add another lady with speaking parts to this movie. I don't know, but like, it just was weird. Yeah. Personally. I feel like too, like she should have actually been like a uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Minds. Mm-hmm. I would have sympathized with like, oh my God, she's doing so much for like kids and she's this amazing teacher. And I know in this scene, like she talks about the schools, I think kind of mm-hmm. in reference mm-hmm. to also like, do I want to have a kid here and have them go to these nuts and yeah. schools, which is also like a privilege, but <laughs> like, if she would have, I don't know, it's just hard to still sympathize with the Gwyneth Paltrow of it all. Yeah. yeah. Now of, like, her, what happens, <laughs> like, it's still not enough, like. Yeah. Yeah. So they do some research into sloths. I, I feel bad calling him sloth. But oh, in the context, that's who he yeah. is. And the landlord says there is an envelope full of cash he paid on the first of the month, every month, and missed a payment. And he was the best tenant. No one ever complained about it. It's like, <laughs> yeah, because that bitch was chained to a bed. Jeez, that's crazy. And the actor who played him, I'll find his name super quickly, but he's a naturally very slim man. And David Fincher had really unrealistic expectations for this one. He wanted the person to who played Victor slash the sloth to be like 90 pounds or something like that. And the actor who played him, who was Michael Reed McKay, naturally just a thin man, and and who plays that kind of role, and if you look at his IMDb role, he plays like skinny man or whatever, was 96 pounds. And I know numbers can be triggering for some, but was 96 pounds upon filming, and David was like, okay, all right, that's good enough. But upon filming, he lost an additional six to like get it down, so put himself in these dangerous conditions to literally almost play just a corpse yeah that's why the practical effects man are so that jump scare just Mm -hmm. takes your breath away and the fact that yeah he had like chopped his arm off or hand off so that he could use his fingerprints on other things and then that leads to one of the next clues because they realized oh someone who's like if this is truly about the seven deadly sins and someone must be going to the library mm-hmm. right. to like check these books out. And I didn't know the FBI could be tracking what you're getting at the library, what books, and that's yeah. where they learned the information. But like William couldn't, it was like a secret that they couldn't really tell the police about. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, because at that time it was illegal to to pull library records. And so they kind of 9-11 world, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so they did have to pay off someone on the inside to be able to get that information to them. And like Summer said, there's a mole for everything in the, the police department. Like, mm, what, yeah. what do you want we can get for you? But yes, after 9-11, the Patriot Act was passed and now they can pull your your records. And the act of doing everything. The act of doing this and, you know, just William being smarter really threw off John Doe because Mm -hmm. with the information they were able to track down who the person was that was getting these books. And this really threw him off because like he showed up at his apartment with these two outside of his door of his apartment, not expect because he was, his ego was so inflated to think that he was so ahead of them. Mm -hmm. There was no way he thought they were going to gotcha ass. Mm-hmm. Watch your house. Figure it out. Head. Yeah. Right. And when this happens, before they realize it's John Doe at the end of the hallway, this is the scene I was saying where like the hallway looked really wide in mm-hmm. comparison mm-hmm. to a New York apartment. Yeah. And he starts shooting at them. And obviously William is like, I'm too old for this shit. I know, <laughs> like run mm-hmm. after him. But there goes David running after him and not appreciating how smart this man is like at this point yes you've caught up with him but not taking precautions to know that this man knows this building Mm -hmm. he is smarter than you a million times over yes you should be but and he has a gun like I know you're a police officer and I know you want to catch him but like he just goes into beast mode and just trying to run after him and this guy is like running through other people's apartments and stuff like Mm -hmm. that now William on the other hand is (laughs) like the turtle in the hair kind of situation he's like trying to figure out another way out and he's thinking like where this man is gonna go Mm -hmm. and it ends up where John Doe bests him and it's got a gun to his head at this point and pretty much William is coming to his aid essentially but John Doe just lets David live Mm -hmm. you know this is when he says like like essentially I respect the fact that you were able to to figure so much out and so like he he essentially lets him live and like just pieces out during this chase scene though Brad Pitt slipped and smashed his hand through a windshield (gasps) and the Injury did work in, because he was supposed to be injured in the chase anyway, but some of the earlier scenes were still yet to be shot. And so he did a lot of what David Fincher sure. called pocket acting, where he keeps his like hand in his pocket or out of mm. view. Oh, okay. And David Fincher remembers Pitt showing him the wound after the accident and how he could see the white of bone in the actor's hand. I mean, yeah. he needed surgery too. I think. Yeah. It's like- yeah. And they stopped shooting for a bit so that he could recover enough. But and it sucks because that's not the take that he uses. Yeah, that is a bummer. <laughs> it's um, like I had real pain and yeah, not good like, enough. Like Leo D in Django when he was yes. when they were at the dinner table and he like smashed his hand down on like a glass tray. And then Tarantino, like, 
looked over to the side and like Leo just kind of gave him nod. He's like, all right, keep going. And then he's yeah. just like plucking glass out of his hand, like no big deal. <laughs> but it's just um, like, you good? <laughs> all right, keep going. <laughs> I, I, I think this scene too is interesting because it shows you that John Doe wants to continue to play this game. He finds mm -hmm. them as really good adversaries, but also that the methodical way in which he kills, I feel like killing David would have thrown off the entire thing that he has built. Yeah. So that was another reason why he didn't mm -hmm. do it. I, do you think it, he, like, this whole time had planned to have, like, his, well, yeah, that's why he turned himself in. Okay, never mind. Yeah. Then <laughs> the, it, it's like this huge, like, almost like Rube Goldberg devices, like, well, I need the detectives to do this so then I can do the next part. Mm -hmm. And it yeah. was very, it was such an intricate dance between John Doe and David and William. And so, yeah, like he, he, he wasn't ready for the David to be fully involved yet. So he let him go. But I think they, in this moment, the fact that they found him, mm -hmm. that he become he, he has to he, rush things. He rushes, but I don't think that David's wife maybe was included in this whole plan in the beginning, but because they get involved and kind of throw him off, he includes them mm -hmm. as a way. Oh, so. see, that's what I was going to ask. I was yeah. like, do you think he planned this whole time to like involve them in his like Probably not them specifically. He probably was looking for a husband and wife to target. Mm -hmm. It just so happens David kind of fit the bill. Yeah. And so he went with it. David's pissed. And so he's like, let's get into that fucker's apartment. Let's do this. <laughs> like, David is very passionate, but in all the wrong fucking ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they, and, and William is trying to tell him he will get off for all of these crimes if we go in there right now. We have no probable cause. We have to find some way to prove that we need to get into this apartment. And David's like, yeah, 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 you're right. And then fucking bust the door. <laughs> and so they go in and it's just serial killer paradise. There is a <laughs> single like bed that looks like it's straight out of like a 1940s hospital and it has a neon cross above it like it's very Gotham. yes serial <laughs> yeah. killer serial killer chic is this whole apartment ah. <laughs> and this is where they find all of those composition books with like his life manifesto in it and so and those are all real. It took something over like hundreds of hours, several months, and they it's did a, they months, had a, I think. yeah, there's like a research team where they're like, how should we make these look? And so they like looked at different serial killer handwriting and they thought that the best one would be something that's like super teeny tiny, fits all in one page, but then just rambles. It has mm -hmm. no meaning. There's no, they're not in no particular chronological order and it got me thinking you know i'm i was someone who 
kept a pretty stable journal from like elementary school throughout middle and high school. Did y'all ever just like open up a piece of paper and write down every single thought that went into your head? Like, have you ever tried that t type of writing before? No. Um, yes. I, <laughs> when I look at my diary, when, and I was never committed, like, I, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I was talking about, but usually when I did write something, it was very much about something that was traumatic or like I was very upset about that <laughs> serial be... killer composition <laughs> <laughs> I mean I might be because I also write really small and in the double in the line so <gasps> <laughs> when hold I it, saw that it closer, I was... hold it closer to you there you, yeah, there you go, go. Oh. <laughs> so when I saw that I was like <laughs> <laughs> that IMDb fact was like a little toothless. <laughs> so, yeah, um, just those props alone cost fifteen thousand dollars. Oh my god! I wonder, yeah. but that has to include like man hours. Yeah, like, probably. Yeah, and I wonder how many people they had like do it, or if it was just like one person who just had like hand cramps for two months. Insane. I think but a lot of it was the same too. Like, it was the same, like, section. Just yeah. Just repeated. Mm -hmm. So now they're, they're still going through the apartment. And, and William just sits down for some light reading. And he's just browsing through these composition books. Meanwhile, David is still making his way through the apartment. And he stumbles upon a dark room. For those who don't know what a dark room is, is our pictures used to have to be taken on film and then developed and then enlarged on paper. It was a process and you had to do it all in the dark or with a red light shining. And so he goes in and the, some of the photographs of the victims are hanging up, drying in the dark room. And then he notices one that is him at the top of the stairs at Sloth's apartment. And he realizes that photographer was actually John Doe. And he, mm -hmm. now he's like super pissed. He's like, we had him. We let him get away. So, and they should have known that he was the kind of person that would want to walk. Like, I feel like on C Criminal yeah. Minds, they would have already mm -hmm. profiled him, which I'm actually surprised when I think about this movie that once they discovered that he had already done two murders, he's a serial killer. And mm -hmm. usually the FBI would have brought in a profiler or something mm -hmm. to kind of take over. Like, why are these beat detectives still taking on a essentially a serial killer? Because mm -hmm. Gotham City doesn't have profilers. Is that a lie? <laughs> <laughs> because honestly, too, I just feel like the FBI <laughs> kind of gets shit on in movies. Like... No one likes when they show up. Mm -hmm. No one wants to turn. No one wants to see an FBI case movie, like besides maybe the X Files. But like, they really get a lot of the interesting, like crime and true yeah. crime and stuff. And so at this point, the phone rings in the apartment, and it's John Doe calling them, and he's like, "Really admire you guys. Y'all are good." <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and he even goes so far as to say, I really apologize for hurting you. That wasn't my plan. And so he says, I want to say more, but then that will ruin the surprise. 
and he hangs up and now it is Saturday and he has like these trophy cases almost of all of the victims thus far and so the next one has like a receipt for a BDSM custom leather shop and so they go down there they, they ask the guy the proprietor if because they still have the receipt and they're like what was this for they he, also found a picture of a woman of yes blonde. And so yeah, the they, they make her out to be a professional so that they, I believe they bring the picture as well, right? Yes. And so the, they're in the shop and they're asking, what is this receipt for? The guy's like, oh, he actually just came and picked it up and gives them a Polaroid of his work. And you don't see it right away, but like their reactions are like, what in the actual fuck and they're yeah. like and you made this like he asked for this and you made this he's like yeah i've made way worse like people right? are just like fucking sick and so they like wa walk out and the dude's like can i have my polaroid back and they like <laughs> completely ignore him and it's about this time i think someone else comes in and is like hey we found the blonde mm -hmm. and now we find it's like this underground sex club club yeah it's where it's like you could rent rooms by the hour it's yeah. like no one sees anything or says anything kind of and you could do whatever twisted things you can imagine and so they walk in the blonde is dead on the bed and there is a gentleman freaking the fuck out and he's like he put me on it, that thing on me he made me fuck her he had a gun to my head so like now they're at the station interrogating him and he's going through the whole thing and then we see a picture of what it was and it was a strap on but it had like a knife instead of like a dildo i want to say out of all of these deaths this the fucked up one. this was the mm -hmm. one that made my vagina <laughs> yeah this is the opposite of the boyoyoing effect this makes yeah. me want to just clamp right up yeah yeah so now both mills and somerset are home and you can tell it's really this is really starting to infect them now and the even killed somerset he like falls asleep to a metronome and he ends up chucking her across the room and then david goes home and just like kind of snuggles in close with Tracy and is like, I love you so much. And so you can kind of see this, like, start to wear on them emotionally. So now it is, and there is a 911 call that comes in and he says, I've gone and done it again. And so they arrive on the scene. I'm sure he gives more information. And now we are at Pride and it is a woman, obviously a very beautiful woman. She has a bottle of sleeping pills, super glued to one hand and a phone, super glued to the other. And her face has just been completely slashed and mutilated. And they're like, it, it looks like he gave her the choice, either call for help and be horribly disfigured for the rest of your life or taking, take these sleeping pills and just kind of end it. And I guess she chose the latter and he even completely cut off her nose and was like, you cut off your nose to spite your face. You, you took sleeping pills to die rather than live mm -hmm. all slashed up. up. Like, but... Yeah. 
I mean, I know people get killed for being pretty all the time, like, you know, guys who target women, but, like, damn. <laughs> it's, there's some point in between these things where somebody tells David from the precinct that his wife has called and get a, an answer machine or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. he had been out late. He's been gone for what, like, she, he says that she's probably worried or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is the moment in the movie where we know that, like, after we've watched the movie, we mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. that phone call was when John Doe's probably with her at some mm-hmm. point mm-hmm. and is making her call him. And he is not, he's so wrapped up in the case that he probably had a chance yeah. to... Yeah. Yeah. So the next scene is they're at the precinct and this dude walks in covered in blood with all his fingers bandaged and he turns himself in and he requests to speak to his lawyer. And and, and Somerset's like, he's not finished. Like, this doesn't make sense. There's still Mm -hmm. two more. He is not finished. What is he playing at? And so then uh, there's a scene with his lawyer who's speaking on John Doe's behalf where he's like, so these are the terms my client has agreed to. There are two more bodies. He will take you to them, but it has to be today at 6 p.m. Like there's all these parameters. Yeah. And he's like, and if you don't agree, you'll never find the bodies and he'll plead insanity and he'll probably get off. Yeah. And so they, they go back and forth discussing the options and they said the blood that was on him was from him, from cutting his fingers or fingerprints off from the woman from pride and a third unidentified person. So that confirms what he's saying that there are more victims. So now they're getting ready to drive him out. And he says, I will only go with Somerset and Mills. They're no one else can go. And so they're prepping, they're like shaving their chest, getting ready for the wires. And they're actually like, this is the scene where they bond. Mm-hmm. Ironically enough, they like have finally come to terms with their relationship. And now they're in the car and there's a helicopter following them. But once they get to the final location, it's kind of like, there's all these like antenna towers or whatever so the helicopter can't get really close to where they are but mm-hmm. they're following them on the drive out to the plains of kansas and so there's a lot of exposition in this mm-hmm. scene where it's just kind of going back and forth and jando is so baiting david into everything he's saying mm-hmm. and david's just kind of mouthing off like uh, what so... makes you special and John does like I'm irrelevant like it doesn't mm-hmm. like it doesn't matter who I am and so then David feeds into that like two months from now no one's gonna know who you are David's talking that shit and he William is. if you notice in comparison mm-hmm. is very quiet and only asks questions when he finds that John Doe has kind of put his guard down because he mm-hmm. is going back and forth with David where he he learns something about mm-hmm. John Doe that he can like kind of segue into it and David just should shut the fuck up this whole time and again this goes back to when I initially watched this movie when I was younger I never had these feelings I was just like in it you know but mm-hmm. now that I'm older 
it's just like a child it feels like one something my younger brother would do mm-hmm. arguing <laughs> with something like shut up like you're not gonna win this he is he yeah I could see what you can't see kind of thing because of age and wisdom and experience and I love that being able to watch this movie it is one of the examples of really seeing how I've changed through time and how the perspective of the movie changes mm-hmm. for me because of of having you know those experiences of life mm-hmm. and David being on my fucking nerves because <laughs> he won't shut up and William yeah. does kind of use those moments like someone it, it comes up in like conversation and and William kind of pries and asks like why were you why did you choose these victims or whatever or why did you choose to do this and and John Doe says I didn't choose I was chosen and then William is like it kind of seems strange that strange that you're getting such enjoyment out of this if you're like going for true martyrdom and. I mean, John Doe calls it out. He's like, it'd be the same if like David was in a room, like with me without any windows, like he's going to get enjoyment out of beating the shit out of me. Like it's the same thing. Like I can be a martyr and still enjoy the process type thing. And so, so, and, so and then he devolves into like, you're only alive because I chose not to kill you. So you should be thanking me every day. Blah blah blah. So he kind of gets up on his his pedestal of like I'm controlling all the strings right now. Mm-hmm. And so the other thing is, as they're like parking, and there's like this trailer out in the middle of nowhere, and on the road there's like a dead dog, and mm-hmm. it, it, John Dell literally is like, I didn't, I do, didn't that. do that. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if they put that in because in the original script, the one with Stallone, that they it was going to be like their partner's dog's head mm-hmm. or something like that in the box, and then they were like, "No, no, no! It's it's got yeah, it's got to be something. The stakes, yeah, stakes got to be higher than that." I don't know. I'm just I'm upset. White people be losing their shit about them dogs. Oh, for sure. sure. <laughs> for sure. I'm just I'm just saying that yeah. yeah. You might have gotten people might have left the theaters like, can you believe they killed Oh, any time a dog dies in a movie, I'm outraged. And <laughs> but what's so clever about this part too is that you know, by the time the like big reveal when John Doe turns himself in, we see who it is mm-hmm. and we realize, holy shit, there's still like a half hour left of this movie. Yeah. What else can we really get here? They pull up to this Indio Valley, California desert, Kansas plains, <laughs> and this trailer pops up. So they think, okay, someone's like, they're going to be ambushed. They're going to mm-hmm. be whatever. And then they realize okay, that actually has nothing to do with it. And then when John Doe goes, well, yeah, no, I didn't do that. And then this delivery truck comes down. It's not necessarily an ambush of people, but it's this like psychological ambush that we get hit with again to really make this fantastic ending. And the way that this last scene was shot with these uptight, really close in shots of everybody's face to see 
everybody's reaction and reveals and emotions mm-hmm. and the angles in which John Doe was shot and and versus Mills was shot like up high, almost like looking down on us, on the audience. Mm-hmm. Like it's just so, so interesting. It's It's very well done. And so Somerset sees the delivery truck going they have John Doe on his knees and Mills is kind of got him at gunpoint and Somerset goes to the delivery person, that poor delivery guy. He's just like, <laughs> I was paid to take this out here. <laughs> it's for a Mills. And so couldn't he have smelt something? Like, I think it's maybe it was in the plastic. I don't know. Like yeah, I don't how, know. how do you not smell that? And, and also just the smug look on John Doe's face. And yeah. now re-watching it mm-hmm. after knowing what he did makes me want to punch him in the face even more. Like, I oh, don't yeah. think I got the same feeling the first time because I didn't know, but Jesus. Yeah. And so while Somerset is opening the box, John Doe is telling Mills, when I said I admired you, I meant what I said. I admired you and your pretty wife. I tried to play husband and I took her a souvenir, her pretty head. I envied your normal life. So essentially John Doe is envy and David is potentially wrath, depending on how he reacts to the situation. And then he starts yelling to Somerset, what's in the box and the the range of emotions like that's what stuck with me for as like since the first time I've watched this movie Mm -hmm. just how David is processing what is happening and then the internal conflict of like doing what's right as a person upholding the law versus a person person of passion that is all of a sudden having to be vengeful of his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, I just think this, this scene for me is just so superbly acted. Oh yeah. And, and although it's funny to like, it is funny, the, like what's in the box, but yeah. it's also like that true gut reaction is like, I don't know how to react. I'm internally panicking and I need to figure out what the fuck is going on. Mm-hmm. And so Somerset does confirm that her head is in the box. And when Somerset mm-hmm. sees the head first at like what he goes through when he sees it and they're like, when you first watching it, they don't seem that far apart from each mm-hmm. other. But when that scene happens, you realize that Somerset is way far away mm-hmm. from where David is. And mm-hmm. Somerset knows that he can't get to David in time because he knows. We already know it's been established yeah. David is a hothead on a normal day. Yeah. So <laughs> this whole situation, and he does remi- remind me of Danny Glover <laughs> in Lethal Weapon because... Mm-hmm. He tries to go for a little bit of a run, and I'm like, oh, man, this man <laughs> yeah. is already out of breath, and he's barely gotten there. Yeah, it's hard. And, and and the helicopters are there, but they can't figure out what's going on because the antennas are messing with the communication and stuff, and they don't have, like, they have their sights on John Doe in case he pulls anything, but, like, they don't know the context of what's happening on the ground. 
and and Somerset is trying to get to Mills and and he's yelling if you kill him he will win like this is, like don't do it and then there is like a very very brief flash of Gwyneth Paltrow's face and then Mills just starts shooting him he, and he so finishes the and all his ammo but for me personally and I know it's easier for me to say because it's like not happening in real time, but I would be so vengeful that I I know that I would not take the moment. I wouldn't want to just kill him right there. I would mm-hmm. probably pretend everything I can get through it, get him in the car, get out of that desert, and then I'm knocking my partner out and I'm taking this motherfucker to a warehouse and he's not going to go to jail. He is not going to get a quick few bullets. I'm going to pull his fingernails off. I'm going to cut his penis off. I'm going to slowly bleed him. I'm going to make him eat, have live rats eating his flesh little by little. Like, I am going to make him suffer. There is no fucking way you're getting out that easy, partner. Mm -hmm. So you're still going to fall in the trap of wrath. Hell yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. (laughs) But it's going to be on my terms. I thought you were going Michelle Obama. Like, you no, know, I'm sorry. Michelle and that bullshit. Sorry, Michelle. Love you to death, but this low and hot. Nah, I'm going lower. I'm going down cement basement, baby. Okay. <laughs> oh, is that the quote me. when they go low, you go high kind of thing? Fuck that. I'm going lower. <laughs> yeah, There's I thought no she was going like, oh, I would. Like, I would not fall into his plan of giving him the, the satisfaction of me killing him. And then we went to torture. And I was yeah. like, oh, <laughs> yeah, you just get the bang for your book. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to slowly torture this man. I'm going to make sure he lives while he's in it. Pretty much what he did was sloth, but worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to play these games? We play these games. No problem. One if I'm going to go to jail... I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory because there's no way. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. One thing, too, is, like, on the ride there, too, like, Mm -hmm. there's a point in their conversation where I want to call him Rusty from (laughs) from Ocean's Eleven. David. (laughs) David. He's like, oh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be right next to you. And he's like, oh, I wouldn't want you to miss it. He's like, oh, I wouldn't. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, you have no clue. You don't know what's about to happen. So then we see Mills in the back of a cop car and Somerset is kind of like, he doesn't know what to do. Like, he's just like, and so the the cops do say, we'll take care of him. And Somerset says, like, essentially give him whatever he needs. And then they ask him, where will you be? And he says, I'll be around. So it it seems like he may be reconsidering retirement. That would be the perfect time. (laughs) It's all solved. I'm retiring, but I will be around for Mills. Yeah. He wants to get a beer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to be writing him letters and visiting him. (laughs) Going to us. He's starting yeah. his 12 monkeys round, you know, like that's true. He, true. He's not getting like mentally. I Mm-mm. don't even know how you get through something like that. No. Yeah. You're done. And then there is a quote, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. Yeah. And that, that is, I was like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
So like you were saying, early versions of the movie, they contemplated replacing the head with a dog's head. And actually Brad Pitt refused to make the film if the ending was changed. Mm -hmm. And then also all of the ties in this movie are his because he wanted to show Mills having a poor sense of fashion. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting. He He considers this to be one of the most perfect films he's ever made. I mean, he annoyed the shit out of me in this movie, but it is a really good movie. It is. It was voted the eighth scariest film of all time by Entertainment Weekly, which I don't, I mean, I guess maybe I'm not reactionary in certain horror movie genres in the same way other people are, but I didn't ever find it scary. I just thought it was really interesting. I agree. I think it can be scary. I probably will not sleep comfortably at night because this movie reminds you that there are so many sick individuals in this world Mm -hmm. and that this stuff that happened in this movie was not just like, oh, it's a movie like it couldn't happen. Like these things or the Mm -hmm. way that these people died, most likely someone did this to someone else. Mm -hmm. And I think those kind of things kind of like live in your head. Which probably is scarier than a like a horror film because you know that's like fake. This is yeah. real. Yeah. yeah. And I, I always say that like true crime to me is way scarier. Like, I mean, I used to like listen to the podcast, watch the shows and stuff too, like people. But now, like, I've had some personal trauma, and I'm just like, this is like not fun yeah because like my anxiety my self-awareness like i could go to say like i could go to the grocery store just like oh on a whim and then get kidnapped or like Mm -hmm. something and who would know like just like goes through the roof so like yeah like this is not gonna really fuck with me that much but like even like kiss the girls like he said like stuff like that is just like yeah especially now so disturbing all the sex trafficking stuff, it's its nuts. Simone, do you want to read the Nine Inch Nails one? Yes. <laughs> and while I'm going back to our show notes, this is a safe movie. And it's funny that I say safe, but like a movie that Kevin will watch typically does not like to do traditional horror slasher films. And so he sat down and watched this with me and... And so I kind of turned to him when it was done. I was like, what puts this in a category different from like other scary movies? Like how come you don't like what makes this different? He was like, it's the thrill of mm-hmm. it. It's the psychological suspense. And it's not like, yeah, the grotesque stuff is gross. And I saw him once. I saw him once several times throughout the film and sit in the uncomfortableness. But I, I agree. I think this really is its own subgenre. But in the beginning of the film, we get a remix of Closer by Nine Inch Nails. And that is one of the songs featured in the movie, but is missing on the official soundtrack album. Trent Reznor later won an Oscar for scoring David Fincher's film, The Social Network. I wonder why it wasn't on the... I don't know, maybe if they didn't want to, like, release the copyright, but, like, only for the movie, but not for the soundtrack. I don't know. Or maybe they were worried that it would compete with, like, their studio album, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Well, why don't you guys 
tell everybody how they can find out about your podcast, which you are on your second season talking about Will Smith. Where can they find you guys? You can find us at Roll Call, R-O-L-E, pod on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Roll Call Pod on YouTube. And if you guys aren't already listening and following them, highly recommend that you do. They have a wonderful pod. We love listening to it ourselves. We've been featured twice so far, their Hancock episode from season two, and we joined them for The Boy Next Door for season one, where they featured JLo. It is a very funny episode. It, the movie is not <laughs> supposed to be a comedy, but we found it to be. Um, <laughs> I keep on having flashbacks of me, like, because I watched that at Bria's house. We had a little sleepover and I was like, Bowser stomping in the corner, just like, ah, these things. <laughs> About all the teacher stuff. It was the teacher yeah. stuff. <laughs> and then he would not have been escorted. Yes. He would have been kicked out. <laughs> Uh, yes so if you want to hear (laughs) lose it check that out and if you haven't already check out our season one episode of love and basketball where they first joined us for an episode and as usual you can also look for us at no more late fees on tiktok twitter facebook youtube and all the social platforms now let's get to our present day ratings and we're going to start with you bria how would you rate the movie now? Throw it in the trap. No. <laughs> <laughs> would buy it. Would buy it again. Okay. Same for here. This is in my, if I wasn't going to watch it this month for your show, I was going to watch it at some point in October. It's a Halloween rotation. Nice. Why does it keep doing for me? I think, it, I, I mean, I'm not throwing my DVD away, so I'm going to say I would, I would buy it again. It's in between a five-day rental and would buy again for me. My butthole puckered a little bit because I was really worried that you wouldn't say would buy it because obviously I would buy it. I own it. And that makes it one of our employee picks for 2022, which I'm really excited about. Honestly, I I was going with the crowd with this one because I was kind of on the sidelines and I do like my life and to breathe air. I mean, I would have been super bummed, but like... I, I wouldn't be vengeful. That's what she says on the podcast. <laughs> I'm just glad I'm not the only one who says butthole pucker. Think twice <laughs> if you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, really the frame it? for uh, the, <laughs> the thumbnail, Danielle. <laughs> Well, if you also say butthole pucker or have other <laughs> opinions about this movie, call into our quick drop 909601-NMLF, 909601-6653. You can also twat us at the Twitters or leave a voicemail on our Anchor FM for our international listeners, and you can be featured on a future episode. And join us next week as spooky season continues with Tales from the Crypt, Demon Night. Lovely. And as always, be kind and rewind. Yay!